From WHYY and Billy Penn, this is your Friday edition of Hitting Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. I'm Justin Clue, and I write for Baseball Prospectus. With me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Yo! Another yeah, fun it. week. <laughs> another fun week of Phillies baseball. Uh, feels like we just saw this team do some stuff it wasn't doing very well for a long time so that's been exhilarating uh, i don't think a lot of people are looking at the phillies right now based on the other things happening at the sports complex but uh that's when the phillies are at their best really yeah you're not looking at them it seems yes like. i've yeah. said that it's uh whenever anyone notices how well the phillies they're doing like oh crap everyone's looking at us yeah. uh so you know the sixers being good or bad is good for them because it means People aren't paying attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same principle to turning the game off when the Phillies are struggling and then finding out later that they have actually succeeded. And we all know Which that is has, exactly uh, what I did on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, it's a direct correlation with your viewership. It's it's really it has, I don't know if it's been proven by science, but it, at this point, it might as well be. Yes. So that's that's largely what the Phillies have to thank for their success uh, in in the last few let's say three games, the last three games that they have won, uh, inching ever closer to that 500 promised land. And uh, yeah, today let's just uh, go back in time a little bit. Uh, I think is a good way to start and just uh, recall a few big moments in Phillies history. Uh, did you know, Liz? 2009. This was the day Jason Wirth stole second, third, and home to become the first major leaguer to hit the stolen base cycle since 1996 and also tie the team record with Sherry McGee and Gary Maddox. Wow. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I was going to say, I haven't thought about Jason Worth in a while, but that's not true. He was uh, on video at the ballpark wishing uh, Larry Anderson a happy 70th. They also used a picture of him in the um, uh, Friday Night Baseball broadcast uh, as a collection of the greatest beards in Philly's history before cutting to Brandon Marsh <laughs> in the dugout. So he was probably... Nice. He's considered the most contemporary beard before Brandon Marsh, I feel like, in, in I would times. say. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember him... You remember him before the beard? That awful soul patch? It wasn't even a patch. It was like a soul strip. Yeah, yeah. Down yeah, all those guys... Yeah. We're doing the coffee drip thing, uh, including oh. Aaron Rowand, who's the anniversary of whose <laughs> catch when he ran into the wall was also this week. This is a big <laughs> week for anniversaries. A lot of, like, lot of anniversaries. Is. A lot of atrocious facial hair. Yes. A lot of bad facial hair. Yeah. That's just part of history, and we just have to accept it. That, yeah, sometimes you're going to be leaving through old images of baseball players and suddenly, ah, what's on, what is on this this man's face? Yeah, it's, it's worth... It's worth noting, I feel, especially from this era of, uh, I think a lot of ballplayers were listening to Disturbed at that point, uh, a lot of Creed <laughs> in the clubhouse, and I wow. think their facial hair re- reflected that. <laughs> uh, That's also, sad. <laughs> I'll also add, this is the day that uh, Joe Ducky Medwick crushed two homers off the Phillies in 1937 in a 13-2 to loss. 
I only mentioned this because I didn't realize that was the anniversary today, and that game was the subject of a recent episode of The Dirty Inning, a podcast where we talk about the dumbest, funniest, and most obscure innings in Philly's history, and any interest, interested listeners can hear that episode entitled Duck, Duck, Lose on the Hidden Season Patreon at patreon.com slash season. So, that being said, we got all the history out of the way, let's move into the present. Uh, and before we get to the games the Phillies have recently played, they swept a uh, two-game set with the Blue Jays after winning All the last of game of that yeah. series with Boston. Hey, it still counts as a sweep. Uh, but two Scott Lauber games this week. Yeah, yeah. Hey, would you, what, what's what's the alternative there? You want to see more of this, more of this teeter-tottering back and forth, the inconsistent play. I really, I've I suggested I in the past. That. That at this point in the season, it would almost be best for us to just be receiving the stats and not able to watch the games or just watch the games and have all the stats blacked out until after Memorial Day. Uh, just so <laughs> no one can form like we're incapable of actually Any forming opinions. the opinions that we, of course, form, but are told it's way too early for them to mean anything. I think an alternative to that idea would be for just to just to approach these games and this is more specifically to the Phillies just a change in the approach that each game is a standalone you know I I, I just saw Guardians 3 and was like oh man that's right like I I've fallen off Marvel uh considerably since Endgame I think a lot of people did uh and there's just so much of it now but like the interconnectedness of all of it like you're watching one thing but you also are, are trying to watch it for what it means for many other things and that can, I like that aspect of it, but that can sap people's enjoyment of just, I wanted to go to the movies and I didn't understand why this guy was in the movie. Like, well, that's setting up something else and it's for the, okay, don't worry about it. And I feel like that approach for Phillies games would be best right now. Just consider them all standalone one night adventures with, uh, with, with like, uh, okay, this guy's playing third tonight. That's fine. Whatever. This guy's leading off tonight. It's just tonight. Whatever. I'll just watch, and it's just tonight. Don't think about this win in the context of where it fits into the overall season, the performances as to how they fit into guys' overall projections for the year. Just that one night, one game, nine innings, win, lose. That's just it. That's the, that's the beginning and ending of the story each night. And I feel like we could just... We'd be doing ourselves a favor to approach this team specifically, which really just looks like a different team, no matter what angle you're looking at them from <laughs> every night. I feel like that would just be a healthier way to approach them. It's a kaleidoscope of badness. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I... Well, like, we, we think about this a lot. We do a podcast. We, you know, podcast. We each do two podcasts a week about the Phillies. And... We do a whole lot of, you know, forecasting and, and immediate reacting. And that is, you know, that's just our job. And unfortunately, we have to say every single time, in, you know, in the first two months, we can't get too excited about this. Even though we're all just like, this is bad or good or mostly bad, probably. Right? Whoever went, whoever went wrong repressing their emotions. You know, I think we just take that old time coal miners approach to our emotions at this point and just cram it all down just don't like, feel a thing like the dad in october sky it's exactly what i'm thinking of chris <laughs> cooper in october yes. sky i was trying to remember to his fandom. name <laughs> doesn't that just sound healthier repression yes yeah absolutely repression and dying of black lung at 40 <laughs> and that's philly's baseball <laughs> yes 
Uh, well, as far as what the actual Phillies are up to at the moment, Scott Lauber of the Inquirer asked today, are Bryce Harper's days of playing right field coming to an end? He has a story uh, that goes into Harper's history as a position player and how he was a third baseman and a catcher when he was younger, all in the name of, of contextualizing the potential move of Bryce Harper to first base as not quite unprecedented. But I don't, I didn't actually, the more I was reading about this, and this has been something that's been talked about since the preseason, we know that Bryce Harper went to the Phillies and said, hey, you know, Bryce or uh, Reese Hoskins and Derek Hall both went down and like I'm on the comeback trail so maybe this is an idea that I play first base because we need a first baseman and there's a couple other uh, potential benefits to that that we'll get into here in a second but uh, as far as like proving that Harper could do it I actually don't need any of that Harper is liquid baseball that will take any form of the space you put him in like yeah I, I don't I don't worry about how Bryce Harper's gonna fare with something new because I at this point I just think he can do anything and the most important thing is that his bats in the lineup yes I mean I can't imagine someone I mean you tell Bryce Harper you can't do this and he's like watch me beat expectations by six months you know, watch me do exactly what you think I can't do. So you tell me, you know, you know, no more right field. I think he's going to take issue with that. Right? That's yeah, his position. Well, well, it's not that they're trying to take right field from him. Or it's if anyone he, would. but He volunteered to play first base. And I think what the, what the idea here oh, is I that see. he is saying, and I think just in general it's accepted, that if, if he's playing first – that gives them the opportunity to like this upcoming series in Colorado where there's a big outfield and Kyle Schwarber may not be exactly thriving as a defender in that situation. Gives you the chance to make him the DH in a game like that where you don't necessarily want him in the field uh, and Bryce Harper isn't automatically taken up that DH spot. It also means that his recovery time could be a lot faster because at first base, obviously, he's not going to have to throw as far, far and as hard as he would have to making throws from right field. Um, oh, yeah. You know. I mean, but my assumption is that, I mean, he volunteered to do that because it's easier for him right now. It's better for the team. Reese Hoskins isn't there. Like, my thought is that if, if you know, he, I think he did that specifically because of this. I don't think he wants to stop playing right field in the same way. Oh, that's yeah. like, yeah, I don't think he wants to, whether, I mean, and if the Phillies tell him, you know, I think your days in right field are coming to an, I don't think he's going to take that, right? Am I looking at this all yeah, wrong? I but I'm like, <laughs> I, I think that aspect of it is just being is conjecture at this point, where you're saying if he starts playing first base now and it works and it just becomes the way it is, there's another long term aspect of this that this is kind of. Insinu making insinuations about that we're going to get to in a second. But yeah, at the moment, I think that's being the implication is, okay, he would be done with right field and he would just be a first baseman, which I don't know. I, I agree. Yeah. I don't know if he is on board with that idea yet. I think he's just thinking, you know, you, I got to kind of evolve here because the situation has changed and it's nobody's yeah, I, fault that there's been these injuries. It's just fundamentally the Phillies approach this year has had to change a couple of times because they've just undergone some struggles they weren't expecting to have. And I think this is Harper reacting to that. Yeah. This is just what the situation calls for. He's, I don't believe he's making any kind of statement on his overall ability, you know, to play right field again. 
You know? Right, he's got his own first baseman. He offered the idea of him playing first to the Phillies after they lost two of their first baseman to injury this year. And it seems like he'd be able to return to the field faster than if he was uh, waiting to be okay enough to play in right. His arm strength is still being built up, but they're stretching out the distance every day. He's out there chucking the ball. It's a little further, a little further, a little further. This, of course, bleeds into another topic, which we're kind of saying without saying here which is the future of Reese Hoskins on the See, Phillies. that's kind of what I'm saying is that I think I think everyone is assuming, probably Harper included, that Hoskins will be back next year. Like, I don't think he's looking at first as a long-term option for him, and I don't think anyone is really at the moment with the Hoskins stuff up in the air, right? It's characterized by Lauber as Harper has, uh, you know, Harper views Hoskins as very important to the Phillies. He's called him the de facto captain in the clubhouse and at this point he's simply not going to say anything about long term he's not going to throw the Phillies captain under the bus but you got to wonder when he's preparing to play first base is he think preparing to play it for the rest of the season or is he preparing to play it for the rest of his career I don't think he can really answer that and in general it's a topic no one wants to or will discuss at the moment given that it plays into Reese Hoskins's future on the Phillies which we don't know what that is. We don't know what the Phillies want that to be. You kind of just insinuated you feel like it's a good chance he's back. Is that correct? I feel like Harper, uh, yeah, Harper making that statement about um, Hoskins, you know, as the de facto captain, how important he is to the team. I think that's obvious and true. And I think Hoskins' history with the organization has been enough that if they don't want to sign him long-term, they'll at least give him like a one-year deal because he's a free agent after this season, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, I yeah, think that's, that's, given, problem, yeah. that's it. This was the worst time for this to happen to him. And I think with a guy who's been there since the beginning, who's played such an important role, I don't think they'll leave him out to dry. Whether they want to have him long-term or not, they're not going to find a permanent replacement at first base. You know, it... I don't think that's a change that they'll make immediately, you know, like picking up Harper and putting him there. Like you, I just don't see it happening. I don't see them doing that to him. I think they'll sign him to a one-year deal and they'll go from there. Cause that's actually the easiest. And that's the easiest thing to do for everyone. The Phillies don't have to worry about first baseman. They can push off the decision about the future for another year. Ta-da. Look, uh, I feel like what I want is for the Phillies to make the postseason this year, for Reese Hoskins to come back in the World Series, for that to be his, you know, like Kyle Schwarber did for the Cubs uh, years and years ago, and then him come back to the Phillies next year in some way or another. That's what I want. But if Bryce Harper comes and plays first base and it works out pretty well, and all these things that would be benefits of him doing that, the stuff we already talked about, but also stuff like Alec Bohm moving back to third, which is a more natural position for him and in where he's worked very hard to become an average third baseman. Uh, and you would get less Edmundo Sosa, which I don't necessarily think is a good thing because he, he can slot in anywhere. So it's not like he's stapled to that situation exclusively, but like, you know, Harper's back. You're going to see less Sosa, but Los Sosa has been, uh, been a, firecracker for this team like he is I, I love seeing him out there so really if Bryce Harper comes back and well he's back now but if he comes to first base <laughs> and plays really well and you know everything's fine I don't see 
it, it's nothing other than goodwill that's going to get the Phillies to bring Reese Hoskins back at that point, right? True, but I think it also matters what what Harper wants. Just because he's volunteered to play first base now doesn't mean it's something he wants to do forever. If he wants to go back and play right field, the Phillies had their, you know, 330, whatever it was, $330 million star. They're they're going to give him what he wants. Yeah, yeah. And the Bryce Harper typically gets what he wants. So Exactly. I, I like think- if he wants to play right field, he's going to do it. And if he thinks that Reese Hoskins is an important part of the Phillies, that's the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I feel like Bryce Harper's thinking about this in the same way that I was pretty much describing at the top of the episode, that like this is something that could work right now. We really, it's not going to benefit anybody, especially somebody who's literally on the Phillies, uh, to be thinking about like, why does this impact the future? It's going to impact the future in some way or another. Could be a small way, could be a big way. But right now, the Phillies don't need to be worrying about the future. They need to be worrying about winning baseball games tonight because what they need to do is rack up a ton of wins as quickly as possible. Uh, Things are looking good after the last three games. Uh, In one of MLB.com's little content clusters, Todd Zalecki says the one fix the Phillies need, because it was a list of what's one quick fix for every every team. Uh, And for the Phillies, Zalecki said that it's for their starting pitching to get going. Now, Ranger Suarez is set to return uh, during this series with the Rockies. Uh, that you know that might happen soon, but it won't just be Suarez's return that gets the team going. It's going to be stuff like Taiwan Walker pitching like he did in his last start, making the adjustments he needed to make uh, to come off the worst start of the Phillies season after leaving the start before that with a forearm strain. I thought that situation was spiraling out of control in a hurry, but then he oh, yeah. came out and made the best start of the Phillies season. Zach Wheeler's pitching like he did in his last start. Aaron Nola pitching like he did in his last start. And honestly, the peaks and valleys versions of, version of this offense we're getting, it's going to take more things like how the second game with Toronto ended uh, for this team to win. But when you start with three really great pitching performances, which the Phillies got in each of their last three games, uh, that's going to go a long way. And that you know, looking back over these numbers today, it was like, oh, man, we've gotten three of these in a row. That is... Uh, confidence building because that is an area where this team has not ex- not succeeded and when they have they haven't managed to do it consistently so there's three in a row and to hear wheeler talk about it he was like oh yeah this was like a a challenge we kind of informally have with each other where if one of us goes out and throws a really good game it's my job to go out the next night and throw an even better game and that they like pretty much did that because wheeler threw an incredible seven inning start uh, that went in a game where he absolutely had to do that because the offense just wasn't there until the ninth inning. Uh, that was that was huge. That was a huge step for this team. And you know, like I said, uh, better off thinking about each game as its own standalone thing. I still stand by that. But games like that, where where it seems like a fundamental issue for this team uh, was being at least reversed three times in a row. Is, <laughs> that's very important. Very important. Agree. I mean, I. I, it, I really just feel like the Phillies played almost no baseball this week, right? Yeah, it feels Do- like they really, me. they've just like had their feet up somewhere, sipping a little drink with an umbrella in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad to, like three in a row, I didn't even realize that was it because I, for some reason, thought they lost that first game, which thankfully they did not do. Um, and I, I just sort of lost my tolerance right now 
to watch them when they're being very bad. Like yesterday, I had to turn the game off because it was so close and I, I was, I just couldn't watch them lose again. I couldn't watch them lose again. Not yesterday, Wednesday. Um, yeah. I would like them to get back to their winning ways so I could watch them more with joy instead of like cowering in fear on my couch. Do you feel better about this team after they took care of business for two games against the Blue Jays? And is took care of business the right way to characterize it, given that they needed a Bo Bichette throwing error to win the second game? <laughs> Someone set that throwing error to taking care of business by Bachman Turner. Over um, <laughs> no, please don't do that. Um, take it. I mean, they certainly won three games in a row. Um. That is the answer is no. The answer yeah, is it the doesn't matter. No, when you're just like <laughs> taking care of business. I'm like that's not. I mean, they didn't. It's three games in a row, but they were. It's one game against a team they got smashed by in two other games, and then it's two games against the Blue Jays. When I'm pretty sure we all know they would have lost the third. Yeah, that's typically. But they would have won another series, which you know, blah blah blah. Yeah, which great. is good. Yes, yeah. I mean at least they didn't have a third to lose. But like this, how they come out on Friday night tonight is like really important. Like it would be good to see them do well, though. I'm really concerned with Taiwan Walker uh, in Colorado with all that thin air. Yeah, well, air's thin for everybody. So we'll, well, just, we say we'll, we'll just that, see what happens. But let us not forget that like the Phillies are known for not hitting. At, no, let us Coors let us forget field. that. I Let's would prefer forget to forget that. Yes, yeah, you're that's, right. We that's, should forget that. I would love to. I would love to have reasons to forget that starting tonight, which I feel mm-hmm. like that's why. Why not? You know, and and you know, it's not like the Rockies have been playing a, a lot better lately. Ugh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but yeah, a lot happened before the Bobachet throwing error that won the Phillies game two. They actually won a game against the Red Sox. Just going back a little bit at this point. Uh, but I just wanted to mention it because it was such a solid win. It was another Taiwan Walker start. Walker needed to do something to show he could still pitch after his last start, which was part of the disaster in Los Angeles last week. Walker came out to face a better-than-expected Red Sox team that had already won two of the first three games of that series. Walker allowed one run, three hits, no walks, and six strikeouts in six innings. Easily his best start for the Phillies yet, and I did not expect that. Did you expect Taiwan Walker to come out and throw his best start of the season in that game? Oh, God, no. No. Yeah. Not after such a terrible start, not after the arm stream, which I was convinced was still bothering him at that point. (laughs) Because when uh, the, yeah. So I I was shocked. I'm surprised. I hope it, I really hope it continues and that he's found something instead of just, you know, finding luck by accident. (laughs) I was trying to think of a metaphor. It did not happen. Alex Coffey wrote a feature on on the adjustments Walker's been making and uh, timely, timely in that I believe it either came out the day morning of or the morning after uh, his start against the Red Sox. And yeah, that is just that was a reversal of expectations on my end. I was expecting three Mm -hmm. bad innings and then a day of leaning on the bullpen and the Red Sox kind of just scoring every other inning. That was more or less what I expected from the end of that series, because while the Phillies struggle to finish sweeps, other teams occasionally don't look like they are struggling when they are sweeping the Phillies. Uh, but, uh, hey, great to see, important to see. Kyle Schwarber also found a way to help in that game in his usual way, a 434-foot home run. 
Uh, he had been 0 for 21, which is basically the Kyle Schwarber experience from April to May. 0 for, oh my God, followed by a home run that shatters reality. Then it's back to the Ophers for a while. Uh, but that being said, when he gets into one, it's always helpful. Castellanos hit another double in that game. He is third in base hits in the National League right now behind Ronald Acuna and Luis Arise of the Marlins, uh, who was the AL batting champion last year. So wow. Castellanos is up there with the best of them. Hey, uh, it's Real the Muto. guy that we signed. <laughs> He's it's fun, right? Yay. Yes. So, suddenly five years doesn't seem like such a long time. No, it uh, seems Real Muto. awesome. Real Muto had a two-hit game that day as well. He now has a hit in five straight and in 10 of his last 11, including four multi-hit games. So that win in Boston didn't seem like much beyond the kind of win we've we've envisioned this team pulling off a lot more often this year. Great pitching, solid, consistent offense, and an earned win against a good team. This team just really hasn't done that a whole lot this year. So to see them salvage that series against the Red Sox was big, and then it was off to Toronto for the two games we saw this week, and the winning somehow continued. Aaron Nola went six innings without a disaster, which was huge. He had the moment where it seemed like it was going to be a disaster, but he got all three outs he needed, and a disaster was averted. Castellanos got his tower buzzed by Alec Manoa and then stepped back in the box and crushed a home run as part of a three-hit day. And Alec Bohm picked up a couple of knocks as well. Edmundo Sosa had a big hit, and Brandon Marsh knocked in some runs with a big double. They just kept adding, which was out of character for this team as well. The Phillies survived both a late Jays rally and Bo Bichette eating their lunch. Uh, he had a double and a home run in that game. Hell, they even got away with a first base screw up when Bohm tossed a grounder to Sir Anthony Dominguez, who was covering, but I think Dominguez thought that he was, he was throwing to second base, so he wasn't looking, and Bohm pretty much just tossed it onto the ground in front of Dominguez. And that seemed like that was going to be the moment that screwed that game up, but they played well enough that it wound up not mattering. Nola's velocity went up a little bit, which was framed as him being on the way back to, quote, vintage Nola. Which, again, I now I have questions about this. I'm not going to go full conspiracy theory here. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> not, I'm not getting the not getting the yarn out. But it's the same thing we talked about in the Aaron Nola dedicated episode we did last time, which was the velo drop. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's on purpose and something that he's doing in order to last longer in games and also get more movement on his fastball. And sometimes it's something that's wrong that is being corrected. I'm just saying we noticed. We noticed. It's like uh, in Avengers when he's like, that man's playing Galaga. You know, I thought we wouldn't notice. We did. <laughs> My God, from the Avengers. That's bold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, that quiet, independent film no one saw. Well, no, but it's from, like, it's from a <laughs> yeah. while ago. That was, yeah, it's like, from over 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah that was, that was yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the, uh, the, <laughs> the velo continues to be hmm, perplexing, but Hey, he, he, Nola pitched six innings, uh, of disaster free baseball. That was a huge deal. I wanted to jump in here real quick, uh, on the topic of velocity dropping, um, not having to do with the Phillies, but the Cardinals, Jack Flaherty had some comments on his own velocity drop. That's been noticed this year by Cardinals beat writers in St. Louis. And, uh, I, I wanted to, did you see these, his, uh, Oh, yes, I did. On this? Yes, right, I was going to bring that up because I'm like, hmm. Yes, exactly uh, kind like of that. pertinent <laughs> because we once we once again had a, a moment where a pitcher was being asked pretty frequently about his velocity drop because it's something that has obviously been noticed. These things get noticed. These things get asked about. They are typically not things that pitchers want. So reporters are going to ask, hey, man, 
what's up with this? And reporters asked Jack Flaherty, uh, again, you know, what's going on with the velocity drop? What's here? And Jack Flaherty responded. He took the you don't know ball approach in responses oh, uh, to, to this question, which, boy, you just you love that one every time. It definitely means everything's okay. So let me let's make sure you get the everything's okay vibe from what I'm about to read you. Okay. The next time somebody wants to mention the velocity on my fastball, I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to play with the velocity of my fastball based on what the game calls for. I can get outs if I need to get outs at 95. I'm going to play with it. I've always played with it. I've thrown frickin' fastballs at 87 before in games when I've been at my best. I'm just saying because y'all want to make a big deal out of it, and I'm tired of it. It's so ridiculous. I'm going to go for what the game calls for, and that's part of pitching. So if you want to ask, you don't, under- you don't understand the art of pitching. I'm going to go with what the situation calls for and what the game calls for. When reporters said, well, we Say need to, we, we need to know that. Uh, and by our, our, our attempts to know that come from asking questions about you, it. You telling us. <laughs> yes. And then when they said that, uh, Flaherty, who is now characterized as incensed in this write-up, <laughs> res- responded, then you don't understand pitching. What? Now, look. I'm okay, not here to man. shovel more dirt on Jack Flaherty uh, no, in the 2023 it. season, but um, his fastball velocity is down, and his ERA is over six after <laughs> eight starts. So if he's messing with his fastball velocity on purpose, I would say stop it. You could also <laughs> like, just say, like, that's the thing. If you don't want to sound the alarm, you could just say, yeah, I mean, like all pitchers do, I play with my, I, I play with the velocity on my fastball. You know, everyone would know that's a lie. And people, they, the reporters might ask more questions, but you would just say that and move on. But now you've made it obvious, Jack, that uh, your fastball velocity is down and you can't get it back up to where it needs to be. Yeah, and it feels like this is just cover occasionally for, and that's what I'm like. Why are we pretending this is like? Oh no, this is like on purpose for. It's very Caplarian to to act as though everything that happens is all part of the plan. So who knows? Who knows? Who knows what the truth is here? But you know, when a when a number one pitcher, when a frontline starter's velocity starts dropping, there's going to be questions. <laughs> there's just going to be, and uh, you you know that. You know that because you're a professional pitcher. So, you know, but hey, what do we, we, maybe we don't understand pitching either. You never know. So anyway, back to the Phillies game two against the Blue Jays saw the Phillies backed into a one to nothing corner in the 10th, which means two things. They got the pitching they needed and they didn't get the offense they needed to win. <laughs> Yay! Uh, at least not for eight innings. In this case, it was Wheeler who went seven strong, allowed three hits and a run on a Brandon Belt homer. Brandon Belt playing for the Blue Jays. Who knew? Uh, I was Wheeler... shocked. I'm sorry. I was <laughs> shocked by that. And that thing was jacked. He hit that. Yes. That one was so that went so far. That was such a huge home run. Yep. Uh, and uh, what Wheeler told reporters after the game that he saw it as a challenge, like I said, from Walker and Nola after how well they had pitched to try and raise the bar even higher, which I would say he did. Yeah. Uh, I know. We're distracted by the Sixers and whatever the Flyers were trying to do yesterday. But that's three really good starts in a row for Philly starters who had an ERA over five after the season's first 34 games, Zalecki wrote. And that's good news, especially with Ranger on his way back. That's 
how you build confidence. So I kind of surprised myself waking up this morning and being like, you know what? I'm feeling a little more confident about this team. Um, and, you know, honestly, in that game, the Blue Jays had their own little first base folly when Vlad Guerrero Jr. fielded a ball to his right and then seemed to throw a Hail Mary pass to the catcher instead of to his pitcher covering first. There was uh, no way that he was going to get there anyway. It was just sort of like, a ah, come on. <laughs> I did all that work to catch that ball and now for nothing. I've felt like that playing first base in slow pitch <laughs> softball games where I'm just like, I got all the way to it. Can it just be, can this just be the out? Do I really have to get the ball somewhere else after getting to it the first time? That doesn't seem fair. And I certainly understand uh, how that feels, except not because I've never played. First base. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there was another big moment at first base in the ninth when Harper reached on a single and ran like hell to second on a line drive by Castellanos. Uh, Harper's speed eliminated the double play for the Jays, and the throw to first base to get Castellanos was high and pulled Guerrero off the bag, meaning everybody was safe. Schwarber was up next. You know what happened. Strike out there. And then it was Real Muto, who clubbed a double over the left fielder's head to bring in the tying run. And then in the 10th, we got the winning run again at first base uh, when the aforementioned Bo Bichette throwing error uh, was the result of a Harper comebacker, and the winning run came in to score. Phillies won 2-1. to one. So, you know, who cares? They and, 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 you know, as far as the, well, you know, did they really earn the win if the Blue Jays got the error that it's good? They had to get on base. You know, that was some of the Harper's run from first to second and Castellano busting it to first on that play got them in the position to win the game. And that's, you know, that's what all of this is. You know, you're not trying to win the World Series. You're trying to qualify for the postseason because then you can try to win the World Series. It's all about odds. And the Phillies set themselves up by playing well uh, in those two at-bats to win the game and then they were they were fortunate enough to receive a break when Boba Shed overthrew first base. So I see this as an absolute win. I know there's people out there who would who would watch that game and be like, well, it doesn't mean anything. It does mean something. It means that they won the game. Yes, they and won the game. That's that's it. That's the most important part of this. I don't I wouldn't care if they got no hit and still won that game. I would laugh, but I would also say, <laughs> you know, hey, a win is a win, literally. That's exactly. all that's you know. Uh, I mentioned the Flyers just now. We do have to take a detour uh, and talk about <laughs> yesterday morning real quick. This is not a hockey podcast, but I, I just do want to revisit the, uh, the I guess it was a press release or something they put oh, out God. yesterday. On their, on he, their uh, Twitter account. Yes. Yeah. They tweeted out a statement. Uh, and it was Clearly it was right before by AI. My God, <laughs> I was thinking that too. There was a st- there, so it was right before they brought in Keith Jones as the new is he the GM? I guess he's the um, president and the I president. Danny Breer is the GM. Right, right, right. Danny Breer. That's right. Um, so they continued their their endless process of bringing in alumni to serve in these positions. Uh, and and you know this is a repeated process that continuously has gone on in the Flyers organization to. Not a lot of success, but they just keep doing it. And they released a statement saying this is a new era of orange. And the statement, you know, again, I'm only bringing this up because I've worked in sports marketing a lot and I've written this before. And it was just riddled with the cliches you see in every one of these things. I mean, (laughs) give your time to whoever you want. Just know that the Philadelphia Flyers organization deserves none of it right now. They made this big, tough statement just prior to the announcement, rich with sports marketing jargon. We had vague descriptions of basic things any hockey team would do. We had one word sentences to increase the intensity. 
We had promises that things were going to change around here. We had statements that, guess what? This team and this city, well, they're connected. It was like the Flyers got a chatbot to write the most painful cliches possible to introduce their new uh, executive. That franchise is going nowhere, and they seem to like it. <laughs> they really, really do. Um, I, I sent you a tweet just now um, from a few hours ago during, I think, the introductory press conference. Uh, John Tortorella said, I want to make a point. I don't get why people talk about former flyers. It's not like they're diseased. They're passionate and experienced. I don't get some of this thinking out in the city. Oh, it's an ex-flyer. Well, I just enjoy it's that not, thoroughly. It's not just because they're ex-flyers. <laughs> it's because know. it keeps being ex-flyers. Whatever. It's always anyway. ex-flyers. Listen, my, uh, my love to <laughs> all of the more passionate Flyers fans. Uh, I, I'm not a passionate one. Uh, my, my God. <laughs> That's all I got yeah. to say. But a great example of what it can look like when things are getting a little squirrely around the sports complex. Uh, so that's that's what's been going on. Let's talk about what's coming up. We got the Rockies again, Liz, and they are, well, bad news. The Colorado Rockies have won eight of their last ten. Uh, <laughs> of course they, they were, have. Yeah, they were playing the Diamondbacks, Brewers, Mets, and Pilot, Pirates, all of whom are not the easiest teams to beat in the National League right now. You know, yeah, the Pirates have come back to earth a bit. The Mets have are struggled bad. just as much as the Phillies. <laughs> yeah, great. really, this year. And the D-backs and Brewers are teams that are like, you know, probably fringe playoff teams at best. But those are still four solid teams that are not easy to beat necessarily. So some numbers from Purple Row uh, indicate that the Rockies have outscored teams 63 to 28 in this 10-game run of success. This is after, by the way, losing 20 of their first 28 games. My God. They're pitching... It's their pitching. It's been phenomenal. Their starters ERA was 604 in April, and so far in May, it's 365. Ah, wow. They, they it's also the defense. They committed 21 errors in that ugly 28-game stretch, and in the last 10, only one. The pitchers are averaging 8.4 strikeouts per nine, and their hitters are scoring 6.3 runs per game. So, of course, of course, the Phillies have to play the Rockies now when they've uh -huh. found their momentum and also, like, the key to the bat closet. Like, they just know they just know how to play baseball now. Splendid. So, what are your feelings going into this as we consider all the factors? The Phillies have won three straight on three awesome starting pitching performances. They've had plenty of rest this week. Uh, in two of those starts, the offense showed up. And in one, they got some of the luck that they've been missing out on a lot this season. Uh, and now they face a bad team that seems to be playing at its very best. So how do you feel going into this series, knowing all these factors are in play? Um, middling. I feel like, I feel like we always get something weird and unexpected when they go play the Rockies, just something unpredictable. So who knows what we'll, what we'll see, but I'm, I'm feeling fine. Like the Phillies look better than they did. And that should at least have some good games against the Rockies if they're doing better than they were. I'd love for them to demolish the Rockies, but I think we know that's probably not going to happen. So, like, I'm feeling fine. Like, I'm not feeling particularly optimistic, but I'm not, like, I'm pretty sure they're going to lose every game and it will be the worst thing that's ever happened. Yeah, I'm confident that people don't want to see objectively good baseball games when they watch a Phillies game. By people, I mean <laughs> Phillies people. 
Who wants to see an objectively good... Well, it was well played by both sides. No, I don't want that. I want the Phillies to bash them into the ground. Yes. Until they're just hats on True. the dirt. Like, that's that's <laughs> that's what we're looking for here, right? Like, we want decisive, well-executed wins, and that requires the other team to lose. So, no, I don't... I, 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 I kind of said the same thing going up against the Mariners, uh, and I was right, by the way, that they did get some... Um, pitching duels in that series that I don't think people were necessarily expecting. Uh, and in this series, I think these teams are kind of well-matched at this moment because the Phillies have been underperforming for most of the season and are in another stretch where they look like they, they could be at the beginning of getting on track. And the Rockies would be a great team to be able to beat, but they are, of course, playing out of their minds over the last week and a half. So that's na naturally when the Phillies have to face them. So this could be an interesting collision of two teams in various points of their season. That being said, I don't want that. No. <laughs> I want the Phillies <laughs> to go into Colorado. I want Kyle Schwarber to hit four home runs in, in a couple of games. I want Nick Castellanos' success to continue. I want Reece, or, uh, JT Real Muto doubling over people's heads. I want Harper uh, squaring up on the ball and, and knocking it out of the park, too. Let's get uh, Trey Turner back on the train. On the, the Let's train remember... <laughs> Let's remember that Trey Turner is here, yes. which I didn't until you said I that. I know. Like, I was waiting for you to mention. I'm like, mm, mm, mm. okay. And I'm like, Trey Turner, this is a great chance for him to get on track because he has not been great lately. Yeah. It would be phenomenal to see, uh, yeah, to see a little, to see Trey Turner go on a tear here. I think that would be, to see a little tear Turner. I think that would be uh, good for everybody. You know, it's the, the, the timing is right. And, you know, it's it's going to be Ranger Suarez tomorrow. You know, like it's that's he's scheduled to pitch to make his uh, debut tomorrow in 2023. It'd be great to reward him with uh, with a win, with a solid win. Taiwan Walker, you know, let's keep that success going as well. Yes. Part of that really depends on Walker. But, hey, is there a bigger success story in baseball than when a pitcher gets his early season ERA under six? I didn't <laughs> think so. So Jack Flaherty. <laughs> oh wait, we can't yet. <laughs> oh wait, he's he's just really taking his time. He's moving very slowly to get here. It's going to be a while before yeah. we. He's he's within question distance. A <laughs> uh, couple more pitching notes before we finish up here. Jose Alvarado. Bad news on that front. He's on the 15-day injured list after an MRI revealed inflama inflammation in his left elbow. I say bad news because. A bullpen without Jose Alvarado in it, even just to catch him in the shots celebrating when the Phillies hit a home run, is uh, is an absence this team is going to feel. Uh, but this is also good news in that all it revealed was inflammation and not something worse. So that was considered good news. Uh, Andrew Bellotti has taken Alvarado's place on the roster. Uh, yeah, I mean... Not a whole lot to say here other than Alvarado's been probably the most one of the most important Phillies and one of the best relievers in baseball so far this season. Um, I mean, I, I feel like you you would echo those sentiments. Yes, I would. Uh, and uh, Craig Kimbrell's feeling good. Kimbrell allowed a bunch of runs in L.A., which, you know, we all remember, and it was bad. Uh, but uh, he uh, said he was dropping his head, losing sight of the catcher's mitt, and throwing off target. And after a conference with Caleb Cotham, he's regained his rhythm on the mound and says a velocity jump of about two miles an hour from 95 to 97 and a half, uh, which is, that's, that's, that's not nothing. That's yeah, that's, more, that's closer to vintage Kimbrel than anything else. Yeah, that's, uh, that's impressive. Yeah. 
Uh, Gregory Soto and Sir Anthony Dominguez will feel the pressure of Alvarado being gone as well, um, which is you know a negative way of saying they'll get more opportunities. Sir Anthony's been feeling it this year, though he's only allowed two runs and eight hits in his last 11 appearances and 9.2 innings thrown. Uh, I saw one of those rando sports network sites for the Tigers that said Soto was one of several former Tigers who was now, quote, failing miserably with his new team, claiming that right now it looks like Detroit won that trade by a lot. But I don't see what that person was seeing. Soto's authored a couple of disasters this year, including opening day and that May 2nd appearance against the Dodgers. But he hasn't even allowed a hit in six of his last seven appearances. So I'm not super concerned about Gregory Soto right right now. Uh, and Dave Dombrowski used the Phillies off day to go see Griff McGarry pitch in Redding, who was making his season debut. McGarry allowed a hit, a walk, a run, and two strikeouts in two innings pitched. So... Good to see one of the Phillies' top prospect arms back in action. Uh, well, like I said, this is a big week for anniversaries. Uh, we had the Aaron Rowan catch seven, in, in 2006, and I wanted to mention this one because I think it has a special meaning for you, Elizabeth. 17 years ago, Cole Hamels debuted in the big leagues. My grandma said very early on in his career that he is going to throw a no-hitter someday, and it took the entirety of his time with the Philadelphia Phillies. But on his last start, he finally did it, which also happened to be your birthday, if yes. I recall. Yes. Yes, that was <laughs> – I. Cole Hamels is awesome. One of my favorite pitchers. I saw a picture from his debut, He, or at least from when he was in the minors, and he looks like a different person. <laughs> he, looks yeah. like an, he looks like the alien version of Cole Hamels. <laughs> it's, really, mm-hmm. it's really something. Look it up if you can. Look up some young pictures of him, and it's just like – it looks like he belongs in Men in Black, working at yeah, a convenience looks like, store. It looks like he's just like about to get on a school bus, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> People were younger years ago. What a that's another thrilling conclusion to an episode of Hidden Season. But yeah, as the Phillies take on the Rockies, hopefully they can uh, keep the momentum they've got from the last two series. Um, you know, it's, 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 I think it's time, you know, we're, we're nearing, we're rapidly approaching the end of the season's second month. Uh, this team's had to make a ton of adjustments and, you know, they're not buried, you know, they're not the Cardinals, which is, which is good. I think we've all expected more and we all want to see more. And this team's inconsistency is, um, it's really frustrating. But again, like I said, approach each game as it's its own, own thing, its own set of nine innings. Perhaps that will work better on us mentally until this team really kicks it into high gear. And hopefully they can do so in Colorado against the Rockies. Yes, agree. Please do better, Phillies. That'll do it for this episode of Hitting Season. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. And, uh, yeah, for, for more content, head over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash Season. Thank you for, for WHYY and Billy Penn, and we will talk to you on the next episode of Hitting Season.